This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollock. We'll get into the Christmas spirit, and despite another drought-stricken year, Missouri's got plenty of Christmas trees. They've hung in there. We'll talk with the one tree owner, and we'll talk with the Kansas City Ballet about the Nutcracker and their performance as they give us a preview. And we'll talk with a doctor who is a member of the Missouri Immunization Coalition who will dispel all the myths around flu vaccines and why it's important you should get one. Occasionally, there will be stories in the news about a U.S. service member whose remains have been found and confirmed many, many years after that soldier had vanished. A funeral with full military honors is held for that service member. Who's finding the remains of service members after all those years? Elisa Nelson talks to Carrie Brown with the Prisoner of War Missing in Action Accounting Agency. Our mission is a very, very unique one, um, and its ramifications are felt by folks all across the United States, uh, including Missouri and, and worldwide. And so our mission is to fulfill our nation's promise by recovering and identifying those missing as a result of America, the United States' past conflicts. When you talk about recovering what kind of missions are you involved in are we are we talking about wars are we talking about plane crashes what are we talking about so when we talk about recovering we're actually talking about a really wide variety of circumstances Um, and right now our mandate is from world war ii all the way up to the first gulf war Um, and so there is a large variety of circumstances that that entails The largest percentage of our missing are actually from World War II, Um, and World War II can range from ships to ground losses, aircraft battle, um, aircraft losses, aircraft incidents, prisoner war camps, um, and, you know, anywhere, anywhere that we found our service members fighting in World War II. Do you know roughly how many people work for the agency that are out there Uh, working to bring home the remains of our fallen heroes? So our agency is about 700 folks, and it is comprised of um, federal civilians, so civil servants, active duty military, and government contractors working on this unique mission. Do you know roughly how many U.S. service members remain missing? So just under 82,000. Um, so it's we're a pretty small we're a pretty small Department of Defense mm-hmm. agency looking for um, looking for all those folks, and we estimate that about thirty eight thousand of that just under eighty two thousand are actually recoverable to bring home and work on identification. Why is that? That's because um, some some folks were lost, for example, at sea in water that's just too deep for us to safely access with our current technology. And so, of that of that total number, we have assessed that about thirty eight thousand we believe are recoverable. Dr. Carrie Brown, with the Prisoner of War Missing and Action Accounting Agency, joins Show Me Today. I'm Elisa Nelson. If you missed the first part of our interview, it is available in podcast form on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And what we're talking about is um, uh, service members whose remains have been found and confirmed many years after the soldier disappeared. The POWMI agency works to uncover the remains of our fallen soldiers who have disappeared. So do you know roughly how many remains you find on an annual basis, Carrie? 
that's actually a pretty tricky question to answer. Um, and I'll, I'll step back. We're, we're recovering remains from both terrestrial and under, underwater environments throughout the year um, in over 50 different nations. So we're pretty, we're pretty global in our approaches uh, as you know, World War II was a global war. Um, we're also recovering remains that are interred in American cemeteries overseas. For example, in Europe, there are 14 different American cemeteries. Uh, an example would be Normandy. And so in those cemeteries, we actually have American individuals buried as unknowns who were unable to be identified um, at the time of the conflict or roughly a few years after. And so in addition to those missions that we're um, sending folks out and we're partnering with people in the field, we're also doing active research to disinter unknowns um, from these American cemeteries and bring them home and and do the analysis. And so when I say it's difficult, it's difficult because we may know, for example, if we are excavating an aircraft crash site, we may know that 10 individuals were lost on the plane. Um, and if we find evidence of the plane, then there's 10 individuals, but to actually look at the number of remains, you might have lots of different bones that are heavily fragmented. So that's one way it's complicated. Um, another way that it's complicated is when we're doing disinterments, you know, these aren't, these aren't the easy cases. Um, these are the cases that the technology that they had in the 40s and 50s could not identify, um, leaving them as unknowns. And oftentimes they are still tricky today. So we encounter um, various challenges with identifying and you may actually, in fact, have a single casket and open it up and have more than one person. So um, that's, that's another challenge. So thinking about remains in terms of of uh, skeletal elements, um, it's many, many, many. Um, but then when we're actually doing the identification, uh, for example, in fiscal year 2023, which ended uh, in September of the year, so about a month and a half ago from today, uh, we were able to do 158 first-time identifications. And so that's kind of the ballpark on how many families would get answers in, in a given year, was 158 um, new first-time, never accounted for identifications. What kind of danger are your people put in trying to recover remains? In terms of recovering remains, um, we are, are very, very careful about um, where folks go. And so we aren't going into active war zones. We're going into former former war zones. And then probably one of the, the biggest dangers for folks that are excavating, for example, in a former war zone is unexploded ordnance. So teams will take with them um, an, uh, explosive ordnance disposal technician, active duty in the military to mitigate that risk. Um, and then of course, other other potential hazards, they're very deep and the excavation is very deep um, or the terrain is physically challenging. It's very difficult to reach like the hump in India, you know, you're up 10,000 feet uh, or above in the Himalayas trying to excavate. Talk about what's involved in the whole confirmation process. Sure, so our, our identification process is by nature multifaceted. We aren't dealing with cases where we have personal uh, self, self-reference samples. Um, we aren't sometimes even dealing with cases that have really good records. Um, and so the entire process, I always ask people to picture a line moving forward in time and space um, and the kind of another cyclical line going through it. So you get a piece of evidence, you look at it, you form an idea about it, you test another piece of evidence, and you kind of move through this entire process. And as we're doing that process, we're overlapping 
different lines of evidence that we have. So one of those lines is the historical background. What conflict are we in? Are we in World War II? Are we in Korea? Um, if we're in World War II, where are we? Are we in Europe? Are we in the Pacific? Um, if we're in Europe, are we, are we looking for a crash site, a ground loss, a tank loss, and kind of narrowing it down to get a smaller list. So when we talk about you know, 82,000 unaccounted for, um, we go down to World War II, it becomes 72,000 unaccounted for, and we continue to get down to a much smaller list so that the other lines of evidence um, become easier. So we're also looking at dental records. Uh, if we have teeth, we'll look at the skeletal remains and come up with a description of that person in life. How tall were they? How old were they, for example? Um, We'll look uh, at DNA. So the Armed Forces Medical Examiner System, their DNA identification laboratory at Dover Air Force Base does all of the, the DNA work for the DPAA. Um, and so we'll sequence mitochondrial DNA or DNA from your mom's side. Um, we'll try and get nuclear DNA, which is from your dad's side or you uh, personally, um, and then match it up to family reference samples along the way. So most of our cases are, are working with some type of DNA um, as well as things like personal effects, items, material evidence that may be with you um, the time, and then we recover them later. So all of those lines of evidence are combining to help us make an identification to the exclusion of all other reasonable possibilities, which means we've, we've taken everyone else out and the thing that is left is what remains and we get our identification. What does it mean to your agency to do this kind of work, Carrie? Well, I don't want to speak for the agency, but I'll speak for myself, and I will say that there is no greater way that I think I can use my skill set as an anthropologist, um, as a manager of people, as a, as a human living in this world, than to do this work. Uh, it's, it's one of the most honorable missions that I can think of, and to be able to, to give back to those families um, and those who served came before us that allow us to have our freedom today is really, um, it's unrivaled. And so to be able to come to work every day and put my skill set to work in just a tiny way uh, to, to fulfill our nation's promise is remarkable. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri.